Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to talk tonight about praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is a spiritual practice, it's a discipline, but it's also just incredible. It's, it's one of the ways that we can strengthen our personal relationship with the Lord. The Spirit of God, like Messiah, is known as Menachem. Say that with me, Menachem, the comforter, the one who, who comforts. God's Spirit will not only empower you, he'll comfort you. He'll comfort you with his loving kindness. He'll comfort you with his magnificence. He'll comfort you with his gentleness, his life-giving nature, his protective care. So no matter what you're going through, when you draw close to the Lord by the Holy Spirit, you'll receive his comfort. And it will cause you to have power for everyday living and even for victory in special situations. Praying in the Spirit is also a spiritual weapon. In fact, it's an advanced weapon, if you will, but it's a weapon each one of us is, is given. I say advanced weapons, uh, advanced weapon because it can, it can accomplish things that cannot be accomplished by other means. When we pray in the Spirit, we connect with God, and our ability to pray effectively is elevated, especially when you don't know how to pray or you don't know what to pray. The Spirit of God in you, it's an amazing idea, isn't it? The Spirit of God in you, not just good feelings in you, not just positive ideas in you, but God actually takes up residence in you when you come to Yeshua, when you become a disciple of Yeshua's, when you walk in faithfulness to him, you become not only immersed in water, but immersed in the Holy Spirit, and he takes up residence inside of you. Imagine this. Little old you becomes a little sanctuary, a holy place for the Lord to live in. It's an amazing idea. God living inside of you, so near to you, because he's inside, he's not outside. You become a dwelling place for the Lord, a holy sanctuary for God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, this question is asked, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so as individuals, each of us is supposed to become a dwelling place for the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. We are stones that get built up together. So there's the individual side, but there's also the corporate side. We together are to be a sanctuary for the Lord. Now, last week I spoke on Kadima prayer, the, the prayer that moves us forward and moves our situations forward. And, and this week's message on praying in the Spirit continues the theme of praying effectively and praying in a way that does move us forward. And I can tell you, I had some challenging moments in my life this week. Did anybody else have any challenges in life? And so I listened to both messages. I listened to the Friday night message. 
I listened to the Saturday morning message, the podcast, and I listened several times to them, and I was listening as if they were to speak to me about the life I lead. I actually found myself tempted to think about prayer and not pray. Did any of you go through that? You know, that prayerless prayer where you consider praying, but you don't actually pray. I, I went through some of that this, uh, this week, and then I was listening to the podcast, and I thought, I got to not do that. That's not effective to just think about praying. Well, this weekend is a good time to explore the subject of praying in the Spirit because this Shabbat is a special Shabbat. It has a special name, uh, Shabbat Nachamu. Say Nachamu with me. It's a commanding word in Hebrew. It means you comfort. And it's taken from Isaiah chapter 40, which is the Haftorah portion. And it says, comfort, comfort my people. It's a commanding word, an imperative. It means this, you comfort my people. Powerful time. The, this is the first Shabbat of consolation that continues from this weekend until the coming of the high holidays because during this time we're preparing ourselves for the high holidays for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We're examining ourselves. We're using this time to, to check ourselves and to see our, our, our flaws, our weaknesses, what needs to grow up, what needs to change, our sins, the things that, that God wants to deal with. And sometimes when you look carefully at yourself, it can be discouraging. But the Lord wants us to take comfort in his mercy and in his salvation. And so the Haftorah portions are specially designed for that. This Shabbat is also interesting because the Torah portion includes the Shema and the Vehafta, which together Yeshua called the greatest commandment. He was asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? And when you read the different answers that, you gave, that he gave in the Gospels and put them together, you realize he started with the Shema and he continued, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Ve'ahavta et Adonai Lehecha B'chol Levavcha V'chol Nafshecha V'chol Ne'odecha. And so those two parts go together and he said, this is the greatest commandment of all. To, to hear God to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then, of course, he gave the second greatest commandment, which is in Leviticus, not in this week's reading. But this Shabbat features a Haftorah reading from the prophet Isaiah that, that calls for comfort for the Jewish people, and it speaks prophetically about the new covenant life of faith and the kind of boldness that you and I are given when we come to know Yeshua as our Messiah. So let's turn to the prophet Isaiah chapter 40. If you have a Bible with you and it's digital, wave it to me. I, I love digital Bibles. And if you've got the beautiful paper Bible, old school, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And here's a proclamation in Isaiah 40. Again, this is directed to us who are listening it's, it's, it's instruction. It says, you who bring good news, you who bring the basura, the proclamation of good news, do you know how you would translate good news into another word? Gospel. You who bring the gospel. That's, gospel means good news. 
You who bring the good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Now, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to encourage the person sitting closest to you to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when you bring good news to Jewish people. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them that have young. Now for those of us that know that the new covenant that has been promised to Israel has actually come, it's fitting that we take to heart the call to love God and the call to boldly tell our own people about the faithful love and the mercy of our God. We should not beat around the bush. We should be clear, God is faithful and he loves his Jewish people. We need to know that so deeply in our hearts that we can say it to any kind of Jew, even Jewish people that don't want to hear it. You and I can put off fear so that we aren't intimidated about sharing the good news with our people. Every Jewish person who's become a believer is grateful for those that shared the good news with him or her. Because those people were the instruments of the Lord in bringing blessing to them. And when we share the good news, we can say with confidence, the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel, the master of the universe comes with power. What I mean by that is we can say this with confidence if, and really only if, we've experienced God's power. So if you've experienced the power of God, then you can tell other people God comes with power. If you experienced God's loving, merciful, redemptive power, it's not only important for you, it's important for how God can use you with other people. And with that in mind, I want to take a few minutes to remind you that Yeshua promised his disciples that his return to heaven, now I'm shifting gears, do you get this? I'm shifting gears. His return to heaven would be necessary so that he could send the Holy Spirit to all of us. Do you remember he said, I've got to go? And they said, don't go. And he said, I've got to go. And they said, don't leave us. And he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I've got to go and there's a reason. I need to send the Holy Spirit to all of you. Now up to that point, the Holy Spirit had been poured out on some people, but not many. It was extraordinary. It was an exception. In fact, to this day, most branches of rabbinic Judaism still consider the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the unusual experience of select people, tzaddikim, the very righteous ones, or the prophets of old, but they do not expect that you or me or they themselves and all around them 
could receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. However, I want to look at three Jewish prophets, prophets of Israel who had not only some experience with the Holy Spirit, but who prophesied about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Moses, Ezekiel, and Joel, three prophets. Moses experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He had such a great experience from the Lord that he was endued with power, and yet he could not do all the ministry on his own, and he was crying out to the Lord, it's too much for me. And the Lord said, find the 70 leaders of Israel. He brought them together, and the scripture says that God took some of the spirit that he poured out on Moses, and he poured it out on them. Well, there was a certain point where Moses expressed this, that he didn't want to be the only one with that experience, and he didn't want the others to be the only ones too. It wasn't enough that this great thing had happened with the 70 uh, leaders of Israel. This was what was in his heart. It's in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. This is Moses saying this. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. He said, I want all the Lord's people to have the spirit of God. Sounds like he's charismatic, wouldn't you say? In his orientation. But he wasn't. He was Moses. But his position about the Spirit of God was absolutely clear. He wanted all of Israel and everyone who would follow the God of Israel to receive the Holy Spirit. So everyone who honors Moses should take this to heart. May the Lord pour out his Spirit on all the Lord's people. The word all is really important. Do you know that word? All. All means everyone. Yeah, everyone. Ezekiel may have been the first prophet to introduce the phrase in the spirit or by the spirit. Baruch Adonai in Hebrew. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 1. He He's talking about an extraordinary experience he had that's connected to the revival and the restoration of the Jewish people. And he says he was taken by the Spirit. Baruch. Taken in the Spirit. Baruch Adonai. Say this phrase with me. Baruch Adonai. Baruch Adonai. It's an important idea. In the Spirit, by the Spirit, Ezekiel said he had that experience. And so he coins a phrase, if you will, in the Spirit. He had an extraordinary experience with the Holy Spirit. And he also brought forth a prophetic word from the Lord for the Jewish people about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's further down in Ezekiel 37, verse 14. And this is in the prophecy about the dry bones. But Ezekiel 37 verse 14 contains this prophetic word from the Lord given through Ezekiel where the Lord says, I will put my spirit in you, speaking to all of Israel. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. So in a certain way, Ezekiel is speaking prophetically what Moses had 
expressed from his heart. Moses yearned for the outpouring of the Spirit of God on all of Israel, and Ezekiel says, God will do it. I'm giving you this because I want you to understand something. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit doesn't come out of thin air. It doesn't just drop down with total discontinuity and surprise on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is Shavuot. Shavuot's a very specific day that has importance. And that day is only a new beginning. But in fact, Moses was saying, God, it's my heart that all the Jewish people receive the Holy Spirit. All the Jewish people. From the schleppers to the schlemiels. Ezekiel says, I was taken by the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. He, he even is moved in the Spirit to prophesy to the dry bones of Israel that they will experience resurrection life. And the word of the Lord is so specific, it's you will live because I'll pour my Spirit into you. So it's interesting that the one who understood and experienced something of the Holy Spirit was also speaking about resurrection life. Do you see the connection between the Holy Spirit and Messiah and resurrection life? Yeshua saw it. After he was raised from the dead, he didn't say, okay, you know, that's that. That's all done now. Now's the messianic age. Everything will be as you expected. No, he said, there's something that needs to happen first. I have to go back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can be sent to everyone. Not just a few. This is very, very foundational and very important. So Ezekiel declares prophetically that God will pour his spirit out, and he boldly says to the Jewish people, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will live. This is helpful for us to understand that there is life with God that the prophets of Israel spoke about, that they anticipated, that they yearned for, that's connected to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gives us new life if we understand Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. The Spirit of God is connected to resurrection life. Don't forget that. It's part of a developing theme that we need to understand. If we don't understand this, and you flip to the book of Acts and you read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you'll think it just dropped out of nowhere. It will seem like a foreign act of God rather than something that's integral to the very existence of Israel in all of her history. Now the third prophet, Joel, speaks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He builds on what Moses yearned for, what Ezekiel prophesied about. But he speaks with concreteness that God will pour the Holy Spirit on all flesh who seek him. Joel makes it really clear that God does not want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be extraordinary or exceptional. God wants all to experience the Spirit of God. Now, if you have some boldness, turn to someone close to you and say, God wants you to experience the Holy Spirit. God wants you 
to experience the Holy Spirit. Joel 2.28 in the English says, And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit. This is the Lord speaking through Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it uses the word flesh, basar. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And do you remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples of Yeshua, 120 of them in Jerusalem, on the day, on the morning of Shavuot? People are trying to understand all the Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem at that time from all the different places. They're trying to understand, what is this? Is it just mishugash? Is it just craziness? Or is it drunkenness? Are these guys drunk? And with conciseness and precision, the apostle Peter quotes Joel. And he says, we're not drunk as you suppose, but this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. When he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he explains how to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem during Shavuot after Yeshua's resurrection and return to heaven. You see, when, when Peter's explaining, he's not trying to give an explanation of, of Pentecostalism. I want you to understand this. He's not, to he's not trying to explain a coming Christian denomination. He's not to, trying to explain the charismatic outpouring of, uh, of this generation. He's saying something from a different point of view, from a Jewish point of view, and from a biblical point of view. So he's not... He's not saying, well, all of this will make sense after the Pentecostal movement sweeps in the 1900s. No, he, he says this is what Joel was talking about. What we're experiencing is what Joel was talking about, and it's connected to the execution of Yeshua, which turned out to be useful for the atonement for our sins, because he was executed for our sins. And he died and he was resurrected. He, was, he, he rose from the dead and he had not only victory over the power of sin and death, but he took every penalty upon himself that you and I deserved. And he consummated all of the uh, expiation of sin that was necessary for all people for all times. Anyone at any time in the future who put their trust in him and began to follow him and walk faithfully with him, would find that he was the sufficient sacrifice. All flesh, all people. Now this connection needs to be very clear to us in order to move to the important topic of praying in the Spirit. I could have left all this out and just started with some New Covenant scriptures, and it would have been a disservice to you even if you knew these things already, I want to remind you of them because I'm, in, I'm participating in an experiment with some other rabbis, and it's to rethink how we think about the practices, the principles, the life 
of uh, Messianic Jewish congregations and not to be limited by inherited doctrines and categories and frameworks from either the Christian world or the rabbinic Jewish world, but to try to think again afresh and anew as the apostles had to, to explain to their generation what was going on. And so when I think about praying in the Spirit, I'm trying to lay a foundation for you so that you understand that the idea of the Holy Spirit is something that got a hold of the Jewish heart and mind from the time of Moses in the strongest of ways. I want you to get that in your head. I want you to to see that. Because when you honor Moses, you need to honor what Moses honors. I was listening to a Chabad rabbi recently talking about resurrection, life, and Messiah. And you know what his focus was on? It was on, can you wear clothing that has mixed fabric? And if you do, can you be resurrected? And I thought, you know, in the scheme of things... I think the Holy Spirit's more important. Trust me. So the writers of the New Covenant Scriptures, the Messianic Jewish Apostles, if you will, they built upon the earlier experience and prophetic understandings about the Holy Spirit. They also experienced some things that were new because they were living in the New Covenant and they had been with Yeshua, and the outpouring, though anticipated, though prayed for, actually manifested itself in a way that was surprising to people. It had several surprises. The, the, the first was that these disciples started speaking in unknown tongues, of a specific kind of unknown tongue, so that when they spoke in whatever language that was this unknown tongue, people from different countries and language groups heard it in their own language. So the the Greek-speaking Jew heard it in Greek, and the Latin-speaking Jew heard it in Latin, even though what what the disciples were saying was neither Greek nor Latin. It It was a supernatural language. And it was... It was amazing. Nobody had done that before. So that was one part. That was a big surprise. Now, a second big surprise was the same thing happened with Gentiles, and not one Jew thought that was possible. In the first generation, one of the big theological debates was this. Can Gentiles be saved? Can Gentiles believe in Messiah? I don't know, was the general opinion. It's like, I don't know. Gentiles, I don't know. Maybe if they convert to Judaism, they can. Because as a Gentile, they can't. But if they become a Jew, okay, okay, we'll make an exception. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Gentiles, it was as big a surprise to the Jews as it was to the Gentiles, who had not been at Shavuot. And so they weren't mimicking, and they had not watched CNN to see how it was done. When Peter was talking to them, the same Peter who talked to the Jews was now talking to the Gentiles. God, without any consultation, 
interrupted Peter, poured the Holy Spirit out on the Gentiles, and they also spoke in unknown tongues. And Peter said, it's just like what happened to us. Wow. So that was a surprise. Now, it went further than that, because there were more surprises. The, the, the next general surprise is that people learn to pray in the Spirit. They learn that this isn't just a one-time moment. This, this is connected to a new kind of spiritual life because the Spirit of God in them enabled them to pray differently than all other people had prayed at all other times prior. And that was a surprise. They had to figure out how to describe it, how to, what, what phrases to use, how to, how to communicate it among themselves. And you know what? They, they sort of picked up on what Ezekiel said. Baruch. In the Spirit, by the Spirit. And so they started talking about praying Baruch. In the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. And I think one of them must have said it first, and the other said, that's good, let's use that, praying in the Spirit. So with that in mind, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's trying to explain to them all that the new covenant has for them, and he says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with deep cries, even groanings that can't be expressed in words. We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit of God is praying through us. He wrote also to the Corinthians, who were a mess. They put the mess in Messianic, too. Because they were a mess. And remember, they, they were like chaotic in the way that they experienced uh, congregational life. And the way that they practiced the gifts of the Holy Spirit was just disorderly. So Paul has to teach them, but he has to teach all generations, in a sense, how to understand the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. And, and this particular verse is of real interest to those who, who think that the Jerusalem outpouring was only for evangelism, and it was a one-time, one-and-done experience. Because he says this, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Okay, also, for those who think speaking in tongues in languages means speaking in known languages, this particular verse would make no sense if that's what it means. Because, let me put it this way. He who speaks in English doesn't speak to people. That wouldn't make sense, would it? He who speaks in Hebrew doesn't speak to people. He who speaks in Latin, Greek, Russian, Spanish, take your pick. You see, it's clear that Paul is talking about spiritual language. He's not talking about known languages here. You see that? Because the sentence would make no sense at all. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. 
Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. So it's very clear he's talking about speaking in a spiritual way with a spiritual language. I want you to get that part because if you miss that detail, you, you may persevere in a wrong understanding. Now, I also want to say something. He's not talking about being ecstatic. Speaking in tongues, it, it can mess with your reputation. Depending on how you understand it and how you practice it. And there are people who practice what I would call spiritual ecstasy. Where, you know, they, you know, like they're throwing their hands up and they're, they're just uh, very emotional. But that's not what this is specifically speaking about. So I don't want to speak against emotionalism per se, but I want to tell you emotionalism is not what speaking in tongues is about. Paul's talking about something else. Now, it may touch you emotionally, but if all it is is an ecstasy, it's not what this is talking about. So it's not about being all emotional, because if it were, Paul would just say, just let loose, let your hair down, babble as much as you can, have a good time, get as drunk as you can. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about an altered state of conscience, consciousness either. So this isn't you know, something that happens when you go on a spirit journey of some sort, or a spirit quest, and you end up having this altered state. In fact, Paul approaches the subject as something that can be thought about, something that can be reasoned about, and something that can be processed intelligently. That's very important to understand. We're talking about a topic that can be thought about. And he's basically saying, think about praying in tongues. Now that makes sense if it's part of your life. If it's not and you're thinking, this is bizarre, then it may be very difficult to think about. My sister Karen, bless her heart, older sister, very dear to me, she decided uh, about two years ago to come and attend our Shabbat service for the very first time. So for 40 years, she's been thinking about that and wasn't ready, but she came. And when she said she was coming, Sandy and I couldn't believe it. And we started laughing. It's like, okay, you're putting us on. You know, why are you joking? She said, no, no, I want to come. I really do want to come. And, and then she said, but I hope no one speaks in tongues. Because <laughs> that would like freak me out. I said, probably won't happen right where you are, so don't, I don't think you have to worry about it. And she was relieved. So I thought it's interesting, isn't it, that she thought if she came to a Messianic congregation, she might experience that. And she was ready, though she didn't really want to experience that part. So in any case... Paul's not advocating to just let yourself go and be all emotional. So he's not talking about how you can fall down and flail and, you know, do all sorts of things. 
he's expressing his hope at the same time that everyone will speak in tongues. And he even says, don't forbid speaking in tongues to this chaotic, disorderly group. Don't forbid. It's not the solution to forbid. The, The solution is to learn. So in verse 14, he's explaining something. He says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is not fruitful. Now, that's very interesting. He's saying that when you're praying in unknown tongues, your spirit, by the help of the Holy Spirit, is praying to God. You're praying in a spiritual language that God has given you. In fact, the book book of Acts puts it this way. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They did the speaking, but the Spirit was the source of the power. And there are some people who say, if, if God wants me to speak in tongues, he'll make me. Well, the, the, the precedence is this. You do have to open your mouth. You have to use your vocal cords. You know, if you grab your head and you close everything tight, That's not the way to do it. So he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And then he goes on. So what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit. I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. This is so interesting to me. He is not advocating for the suppression of all intelligence, he is rather saying that the Spirit of God in you, in this prayer, even in unknown languages, can connect with your intelligent understanding. Pray in the Spirit, in other words, with spiritual words you don't understand, so that you can pray with your mind and with your understanding in other words, with words you do understand. And if he, he, he says this, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you speak a blessing in spirit, how can someone who's uninstructed say amen to your thanksgiving since he doesn't know what you're saying? You see, the assumption is the people around you won't understand what you're saying. God will. You won't. He will. Now, how do you close the gap? This is very important. You keep praying in the Spirit until you get understanding. But you pray with intent and purpose that you will get understanding. You you pray in the languages you don't understand and that other people don't understand but you continue. So there is a practical side that praying in the Spirit, praying in unknown tongues, is is a capacity that needs to grow and develop in us, and you practice it. How do you build up strength? Practice, right? You, You put into practice the thing that you're trying to get stronger in. So I remember when... I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I was given a prayer language and I would drive to work as a new believer and I try to practice praying in the Spirit. And I 
The best I could do would be to try to pray in the spirit to the tune of Mary Had a Little Lamb. That was it for me. And I thought, okay, I'll do that, you know, for one stoplight. And then I thought, well, I'll go another stoplight. You know, I'll keep going. And I found that if I practiced praying in the Spirit, I could pray longer in the Spirit. Once we were going to another city and we needed to meet with some people who were having difficulty in their congregation, and so we decided to pray in the Spirit for one hour while we were driving there. And it was a great thing. It was tiring, I have to tell you. But it was also energizing. Pray longer and longer so that your capacity increases. And you may have to pray longer than you're comfortable sometimes before you receive understanding from the Lord how to pray in your regular language. Last week, I talked a little bit about that. And at the class on Tevilah Baruch HaKodesh, Immersion in the Holy Spirit, we're going we're gonna to tell you about some very important and useful ways of practicing and experiencing the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Keep going. Don't stop. If you're praying in the Spirit and you don't understand yet how to pray with your understanding, keep praying in the Spirit. Don't stop. So you may say to yourself, well, if I prayed for five minutes and the Lord doesn't give me understanding, this doesn't work. And I would say, well, maybe it didn't work in the five minutes. Maybe there's a lot more that God wants to do. In any case, go for 10 minutes. If you don't get understanding, go for 15 minutes. If you don't get understanding, 20 minutes. Keep going until you get some understanding. Don't put a limit on God and say, God, if you don't fit in this box, I don't believe it's true. Paul connects praying in the Spirit with spiritual warfare you can read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, to see this very important detail. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times, and on all kinds of occasions, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, one, one, one note. We often, we don't often use our prayer languages in our Shabbat services that we do in our prayer meetings and times of prayer before the services. And I'll tell you one of, a, one of the reasons for that. It's because we have visitors and we have people who aren't part of the congregation who would come with us. And in our experience, they'll just take off in their liberties without regard to our understanding, and it leads to chaos and disorder. <laughs> We're not trying to be a Pentecostal Messianic congregation. We're not trying to be a charismatic Messianic congregation. We're trying to just be a Messianic congregation. But we do believe that in the Messianic congregation, the gifts of the Spirit should be practiced, but in order. And, and for that reason, we practice the gifts of the Spirit, but less so in the Shabbat services than in some other places, just so that we don't have to clean up a lot of messes coming from visitors. <laughs> and it's just very practical. It's like, oh no, not another. 
So praying in the Spirit. Now, if you want to know more about this, come Wednesday night, and we're going to pursue this more. And this will prepare you so that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's promised and described here so that you can pray in the Spirit, we'll have a time after that where we will pray for you and you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be able to pray in the Spirit. Because it's good for everybody to pray in the Spirit. What did Joel say? All. What did Moses say? All. So what do we say? All. Exactly. Let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for promising the Holy Spirit, for making the Holy Spirit available to all of us who put our trust in Yeshua. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the same yearning that Moses, Ezekiel, Joel all had, that we would have the understanding that Peter had and that Paul had, that the other disciples had, that Yaakov had, and that is to pray in the Spirit is not only powerful, it's necessary. And I ask, Lord, that you would open our minds, you would open our hearts, so that we too could fully experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that we too could pray in the Spirit effectively. I ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat.